everybody. Welcome to Talking Ball. I am Pat Leonard. This is our first episode of what we hope will be many as we talk the NFL and everything around it. My unofficial slogan for the podcast so far that I've come up with is nothing is out of bounds. The reason is just because, well, first of all, I'm a tabloid writer, so I like puns and catchphrases. And then secondly, we like to cover everything here. My job as an NFL columnist and as a Giants beat writer is to not just cover the X's and O's, but to write about and to know about player contracts, to know about legal situations and cover court proceedings and everything that is entailed with covering the NFL and the National Football League. But obviously, we all know it starts on the field, and that's why here we are starting with the most important position in the sport, and that is quarterbacks. And in our quarterback episode, what can we talk about other than Jimmy Garoppolo and this unusual news that the San Francisco 49ers have decided after not involving Jimmy Garoppolo in practice throughout the offseason, he's recovering from the offseason shoulder surgery, but they had officially basically moved on. It was Trey Lance's team. That's what Kyle Shanahan said. And now they're bringing Jimmy Garoppolo back. Now, I think the initial reaction was, what are the 49ers doing? This could create a problem in the locker room, and we'll get to that. But I look at this situation and I say, as much as this could create problems internally for the San Francisco 49ers, if I'm another team in the NFC West, I don't like this either because I wanted the, the Niners to turn it over to Trey Lance. And I'm not, I'm not dumping on Trey Lance here, but obviously a young quarterback you would expect would go through some growing pains. Jimmy Garoppolo is not just any other quarterback. He has been to two NFC Championship games and a Super Bowl in the last three years. He took the Niners on the road in the postseason last year and beat the Cowboys and Packers in their own places and almost beat the Rams, losing 20-17 to 17 in the NFC title game, the eventual Super Bowl champions. So he comes back into this team, and let's face it, it's a hedge against Trey Lance and Garoppolo, regardless of all the other circumstances, you can't imagine that he would want to stay and elect to stay on a pay cut unless he foresaw the possibility that he could actually see playing time. So it creates a very unusual, uncommon situation. But the fact that Jimmy is back is not good if you're the Rams, if you're the Seahawks, if you're the Cardinals, if you're a team in the NFC, which continues to remain more wide open than the AFC, because the Niners have been a perennial contender outside of the 2020 season when they were decimated by injuries. Garoppolo was a big part of that. And if Lance struggles and Garoppolo does get back on the field, as much as that creates problems for Kyle Shanahan and the Niners possibly, in the end, it probably in that scenario makes them a better team. And that's not good if you're anybody on the 49ers schedule. They have a defense, a running game, a coaching staff, a scheme. And then insurance at the most important position in the sport to ensure that they remain relevant and they remain a contender. Now, the flip side, obviously, is the initial reaction, which is the appropriate reaction. Now, you can spin this however you want. They give Jimmy Garoppolo a pay cut, but they welcome him back to the team. The Niners will not stand out there on a podium and say, this is because we don't believe Trey Lance is the guy. But if you've been following coverage from all of the great beat writers, reporters, columnists, podcasters, everybody who's been covering and watching the 49ers closely this offseason, 
they have consistently spoken about Lance needing to show a little bit more about him working on technical things with his throwing motion. And listen, this is a young quarterback. This is what happens in the NFL. And everybody has a different trajectory. But in the NFL also, this is a very interesting element of the league right now, the quarterback development scale and schedule does not align with the general manager and head coach timeline for needing to get a team turned around. It is extremely difficult to get a young quarterback going right away. But if you're a coach or GM, your job security is tied to getting things up and running and looking uh, you know, uh, competent by year two at the latest, pretty much. And we've seen that here in New York with the team I've covered on a regular basis. And so when Trey Lance takes the field in week one of 2022, it's not just the Niners saying, well, let's live through some tough times. And if we don't have as good of a season, uh, you know, hey, all, all in the mind of us moving ahead into the future as a better franchise for it. That is the idea behind playing uh, a top draft pick early in, a, in some cases, but the Niners have a strong roster. They have a roster that can compete as they've proven in the last few, few years in the NFC to get to the Super Bowl. And Jimmy Garoppolo was one throw away, essentially, from winning the Super Bowl three years ago. So the positive for the Niners is that they can say whatever they want. It's a hedge. It's a hedge against Lance. It's a hedge against whether he can get it done. Garoppolo, as much as it has felt all this time because they've all said and they haven't involved him in the quarterback meetings, he hasn't been practicing. Garoppolo, even though it seemed like he had moved on and still seems like people mentally have moved on from that time frame of 49ers football, he's now still in the building, in a building that by all accounts, players like him and they respond to him. And if Lance doesn't get it done, no one should be surprised if Jimmy Garoppolo is starting a game for the San Francisco 49ers this season. Obviously, that has not been the plan for what the Niners want to happen. Now, the smart business move by John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan and the Niners here is that they are trying to get value for Garoppolo in a trade if and when they make one. And the value that they were able to acquire was compromised in the offseason because Garoppolo had surgery on his throwing shoulder. And that happened after the season. And that's something that as the musical chairs game is happening in the spring and around draft time and free agency and even deeper into the offseason, that's something that complicates. You know, Garoppolo is a, an above average quarterback, I believe. He's not in the elite tier of quarterbacks, though. So if a quarterback who's not in an elite tier also has an injury and it's unclear exactly when he's going to be back, how healthy he's going to be. And also remember teams like um, the Seahawks, teams like the Giants, you know, teams that might seem like a suitor for a player like Jimmy G. Some of them might be in a scenario and are in a scenario where they're not interested or able financially to acquire a veteran because they're more in the mode of turning it over and rebuilding and going young and accepting short-term pain for long-term gain. So that created an awkward situation for the 49ers front office. Uh, the, the Cleveland Browns, frankly, always appeared to be and seemed to be, from the outside looking in, the most likely destination 
for Jimmy Garoppolo, given where the Deshaun Watson situation seemed to be headed and ended up heading. But as we see, for the short term, he remains in San Francisco. And even though he ex- he gets a no trade clause for taking the pay cut, it does appear that all sides of this are open to revisiting that no trade situation or at least collaborating on the process of making sure that uh, Jimmy G ends up in a place that benefits him, but also benefits the 49ers. And really, that's great for Garoppolo because even though you know people were talking early offseason about teams like you know, the, you know, the Giants or the Browns and, well, the Browns have a, a pretty good roster in some sense and some depth, but even like the Seahawks came up recently. Garoppolo, if you're Jimmy G, you don't want to go to a place that's rebuilding or looks like it's uh, in for a hard year. You want to go somewhere where you're going to compete and be in these same games that you have won as, as recently as last season in the playoffs on the way to uh, an almost second Super Bowl berth in three years. And so by staying in San Francisco, he remains with a team that, if he gets back on the field with them, is competitive, is competing for a playoff spot in the NFC. And so for him, given where the situation is at this exact moment, it's a win-win for Jimmy G. Now, this could be a powder keg in San Francisco. I mean, this it could explode. Kyle Shanahan... This is a, a an unprecedented challenge for him as far as how awkwardly he has to pivot here after all of the rhetoric the Niners have delivered on what they believe in with Trey Lance. And really, if you're San Francisco, the number one thing is to not damage your young quarterback's psyche, to not give him signs that you don't believe in him. Now, none of us are privy to the direct conversations that are happening in the uh, the facility in Northern California on a daily basis. But as we've spoken about, there has been a consistent element of criticism out there and coming from California and the people covering the team who talk to sources there and are saying that when they look at Trey Lance and when they talk to people in the building, they still want to see more. Now, this becomes very dangerous because remember, Going back to the draft two years ago, Kyle Shanahan and the Niners, when they made that big trade up into the top few picks and they end up taking Lance, the consensus belief, and it's been reported since, that people believe that Shanahan made that trade with Mac Jones in mind as his target. And then only once they got up there and then started digging even further into the QBs, were there people in the front office and then a conversation amongst everybody where they end up deciding that Trey Lance with his arm, with his mobility, with his upside is the guy. But so you already are coming from a place where if, if, Trey Lance, if I'm Trey Lance, I know I'm young, I know I have my head down and I'm working, but I, I, would, be, I would be wondering now, this is the second time in a couple of years here where there have been questions, even when the Niners are saying they're committed and are showing a commitment either through a draft pick or their words and actions in starting him in training camp and putting the full force behind him. This is the second time now during your Niners tenure already where it's been called into question uh, how fully committed the organization is to you, even as they say that. Now, Shanahan and the Niners, they have to do what's best for their offense and best for their team. 
And so does John Lynch in the front office as far as possible return on a trade. But Trey Lance also has a lot to manage here. And it's going to be interesting to watch from afar. It could blow up in their faces. But I do think that it, it bears mentioning, and you have to remember, that in the NFC, like who are we looking at when it comes to competing for a Super Bowl berth? And you have the Green Bay Packers. You have the defending champion Rams. You have the Niners, just to mention a few teams that could challenge. But the Niners are definitely one of those teams who, if they have Trey Lance at quarterback, no one's sure right now if they belong in that class still. But if Jimmy Garoppolo ends up returning to the lineup, ends up returning and playing for them, if he ends up back in their lineup, now that instills a little bit of fear, a little bit of second guessing in the rest of the conference because people know he has a proven track record and nothing matters more in the here and now competing for playoff spots and Super Bowl berths and championships than having done it before. We'll talk a lot more about quarterbacks in our next segment with our special guest. Stay right here on Talking Ball. All right, welcome back to Talking Ball. We are back with our very special guest. Want to get all this right? Super Bowl 50 champion, NFL wide receiver, entrepreneur, author of the book Silver Spoon, The Imperfect Guide to Success and the most relentlessly positive person I know, Benny Fowler. Benny, thanks so much for joining us here. Hey, Pat, man, really appreciate you. Super happy to be a part of the podcast and, you know, just seeing all your growth. And I guess I've known you for like four or five years now. So it's it's good to see how you've grown as a person in, in your business as well. So thank you for having me. Thank you. Yeah, Benny is so smart about football, about life, so much perspective and uh, we look forward to hopefully getting his perspective here, either regularly or semi-regularly. He's a busy man. Um, what what are you up to right now, Benny? Because I know uh, I think you were you were with the Saints, and then you were last with the 49ers for a little bit. Um, are you still competing for a roster spot? Still playing? Uh, what's going on in your life today? I'm I'm competing for a roster spot in, in consulting businesses and venture capital. I'm not competing for a, ro- a roster spot <clears throat> in the NFL anymore. So I'm I'm retired. And now have moved into the next chapter of my life. I've been fortunate enough to to play for eight years and play for some incredible teams, play with some incredible quarterbacks, and like you said, you know, play and win in a, and win a Super Bowl. So yeah, it was last with the uh, San Francisco 49ers, but now I'm, I'm into the business world, the entrepreneurial world, and combining the things that I've learned over the time in terms of professional sports and then what my parents have taught me, and now putting that back out into the universe and helping people, you know, grow grow their businesses and grow their lives. Well, congratulations on your retirement on a great career. Michigan State standout, obviously, uh, winning a Super Bowl and really being such a trusted guy in the locker room and on the field for some great quarterbacks and great teammates. Um, it was a pleasure getting to know you in the Giants locker room for the couple of years you were here. And I know you're going to do great things. and You're already doing great things uh, after football, but congratulations. Um, on a terrific career. And um, we talk about the 49ers and that actually leads us into our first topic. You know, we're trying to make our first episode here, the quarterback episode and kind of fresh off Benny, some unusual news here that Jimmy Garoppolo is actually coming back on a restructured contract to the Niners. Uh, Everybody assumed he was going to be traded or cut. The Niners weren't even practicing him with the team. He wasn't even in the quarterback meeting room. So my question for you is, if you're a player on that team, you watch Trey Lance 
as the starter all camp. You hear the organization say, Trey's our guy. This is Trey's team. But then this happens. I mean, this guy's taking you to two NFC championships in the last three years and a Super Bowl berth. If you're in the locker room, how do you view this? Does this undercut Trey Lance and faith in him from the organization standpoint for you? And how do you think the players react to something like this? I think the players will react actually positively to this. I think Jimmy was a very liked guy in that locker room. For what I could tell, I was there for OTAs and a little bit of training camp. But I know Jimmy is a very well-respected guy in that locker room. And I know Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch both have made it very clear to the entire team and organization that Trey Lance is the guy. And they've made that clear to Jimmy Garoppolo. And Jimmy Garoppolo and his agent had to agree to actually come back to that. It's not like they said, hey, Jimmy, you know, we're, we're bringing you back now. They both had to agree on the deal and the restructured deal. And I think it puts... Jimmy in a position to really get his shoulder healthy. He knows that offense. And I think it it does a lot of benefit to actually to the 49ers in terms of they have two quarterbacks now. And, you know, this is a very physical game. Trey ha- is going to have to lean on somebody who has had that experience. And, you know, him and Jimmy have a great relationship. And I think Jimmy's going to help support him to the best of his ability and, and, I think it just I think it's a win-win for the 49ers and Jimmy. No, that's great perspective and so you yeah, you don't see as a player and as somebody who's been there you don't see it as much as a threat as much as actually better depth at this at the position and then also that's that's pretty that's very insightful to hear that the clear lines drawn behind the scenes of what needed to be agreed to and understood and and how they've explained that this is Lance's team um and you know what Benny I actually think too if you're Another team in the NFC, this would be another case for why it's good for the 49ers is, you know, if you're another team in the NFC, not that Trey Lance isn't going to succeed, but if, if you looked at it as, well, the Niners could be a question mark, go through some growing pains with a young quarterback, the fact that the Niners, at least for the current time, are holding on to the guy who's taken you deep into the postseason, doesn't that maybe, you know, tell the Rams, the Packers, the Eagles, any other contenders that they're actually, we still have the guy here who's done it before. And it's not necessarily a year of turning things over. Like we have, um, you know, very good depth and talent at the most important position. Absolutely. It gives, it gives the 49ers, you know, just another weapon. And I would say not a weapon in terms of like using it on the field right away. But if, if things were to happen, we know injuries happen, especially at the quarterback position. We've seen it happen with Patrick Mahomes. We've seen it happen with Peyton the year we won the Super Bowl. You have to have a, a, a you have a great backup quarterback that makes you that much more successful. And and I know it's it's good. I think it's a, just a, a positive for Jimmy as well. Like if Jimmy had to join a, che- a team right now, he'd have to learn a new playbook, a new system. And right now, he doesn't have to do that. He knows the system. He knows how they want to run things. And like I said at the beginning. The, the most important thing, especially for the players in the organization, is that John and Kyle are on the same page, in which they are. So that helps them out tremendously. I'm glad you mentioned Peyton there because, uh, you know, going along with our themes of quarterbacks, wanted to ask you about, you know, your fascinating career where you play with Peyton Manning, Eli Manning, Drew Brees, like three either Hall of Fame or future Hall of Famers. And, you know, you have such a great and unique perspective having played with those guys. And I'm wondering, this is kind of a general question, and what qualities do those great quarterbacks share? And I omitted some guys you play with, you know, we'll talk about a little bit, but 
as far as these guys who won Super Bowls, had success, you won with one of them, what shared qualities did you see in the elite of the elite QBs? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> to add to that, I mean, I played with Tom Brady for a week as well before I joined the Giants. So I played, I didn't, I didn't play that, in the game, but I was, yeah. So I, but I signed and played and practiced with the Patriots for a week and then they traded for Josh Gordon. But those quarterbacks have a very unique perspective in terms of their, all their focus. They're very intentional in terms of the way they go about things. The way they do things is with such intention, but even the way they meet people, like they don't throw the ball to people that they don't know personally a little about uh, a little bit about their history and their background. When I first met Peyton, it was crazy just walking into the locker room. He had two lockers. He had like his golf stuff in one, and then he had his like football stuff in the other during OTAs. And he comes up and he shakes my hand and says, "Hey, you know, happy to have you on the team. Know you're from Michigan State, but little things like that. His first day in there, uh, but he knew he knew his receivers. He knew our backgrounds, and I can say the same thing with Eli." And he knew right away, you know, he knew a little bit about my history and the fact that I played with his brother. And, you know, he kind of made a joke about that. And, you know, I think things like that are super important. Tom Brady, the same way. He, Tom Brady, I think I met him at like maybe 6, 6.30 in the morning. And he had played with my high school running back. And he mentioned he made, he built, he built that report right then and there, mentioning his name and, then he made a Michigan State joke and it was like, you know, things like that are important. It's no different than in business. You know, you want to work with good people and you want to know that they care. And I think that's one of the things that really stands out is how they care about their teammates. Everybody looks at the X's and O's, but a lot of trust is built with those guys right when they right when you meet them, especially when you're on the same team as them. And I think things like that are important uh, for people to understand. No, that's so interesting. And and so then Peyton Peyton introduced himself, you guys meet, but then how did you, as a rookie, earn, as a young receiver, how do you earn the trust of Peyton Manning so that, you know, come the Super Bowl, he's looking to you, throwing to you in the end zone on a two-point conversion? And, you know, how do you get to that point that quickly with a guy who you really got to earn it? Yeah, I think showing up every single day, being consistent. Um, I would sit in the very, very front row right in front of Peyton. Peyton sat in the second row. I would sit in the front row. And then when he would ask me questions, I was always ready. I mean, I was studying like I was studying for, you know, a college exam. It was like studying like that every night, but I would say staying prepared. And he could see that. He could see your work ethic. He could see if you were ready. He could see if you were doing the things to put yourself in this team in a position to win. And things that would come to light very quickly, especially playing with him. So I would say that is the thing that kind of helped me stand out is that I knew his offense and um, and I could pick it up quickly. Hard work pays off. So there's a guy here in New York, obviously, you know, very well, and we've, we've talked about before you've talked about, you've told me about Daniel Jones's unique work ethic and a work ethic that seems to mirror those of great quarterbacks you've played with. And, you know, everybody, I think I know your answer, but everybody wants to know people's answer now, especially that the Giants didn't pick up the fifth-year option, and this is the make-or-break year for him. Benny, is Daniel Jones the guy? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, <clears throat> DJ has all the qualities of all the quarterbacks that I just talked about, except he can run, and he's more athletic than all of them. Wow. I think 
this is this is going to be a year where DJ comes and he shows people with this offense and the way they can spread the ball around. I think this is uh, this is going to be a year for him to to break out. I everybody's seen his ability. He's had incredible games. I mean, even what we did down in Tampa. I'm trying to think back to the games. You know, games we played against Washington. We've seen the glimpses, and we know it's there. Now it's just, does he have everything around him? He's got Saquon. I know Saquon's about to have a, an incredible year. You know, young Shep. I know young Shep is coming back off the Achilles, but I know he's working hard. Um, we'll see what happens with Slay. I see Slay on the on the tra- the trade rumor. So, um, yeah, you know, I'm 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 excited for Daniel um, because of the way they can spread the ball around, and you know, I I know the talent is there. We've we've all seen it. Well, you kind of lead me into a question that I've been asking myself a lot watching practice every day, and it, it, it's the question of, is this built for him to succeed? Like, he has the talent. There are some players, guys you mentioned already, who can help, but learning a new offense, what is it, fourth offensive coordinator in in four years or three years, um, and then an offense that, by all accounts, they talk to people in the league, like Dable and Kafka, both coming from Buffalo and Kansas City. It gives you it gives the quarterback ownership of the offense and it creates opportunities in space, but it is not an easy offense to learn, is what is what I understand. And he has lost Colin Johnson, who was having a good camp, to a season ending Achilles tear. He does have David Sills, who he has good chemistry with, but Kenny Galladay really hasn't shown a lot in camp. Even they even played him in the preseason finale. Kadarius Tony is rarely on the practice field coming off an off-season knee procedure, didn't play in the preseason. So while they address some offensive line issues, they get Wandale Robinson. Saquon looks great physically. Shep's back. Can they? Is it built for Daniel to thrive right away in, an, in a complex offense where some of your key pieces are not around, are not on the field? Even Shep, who he has a good chemistry with, hasn't been able to throw with him really in this offense because he's been on pup. So like, is it, is it too much to expect Daniel to take off and run with this starting week one in Tennessee with guys still trying to get on that same page? Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a tall task. I'm going to say that because, you know, Daniel's a friend that I think that he is going to do well, but when you have key people that are out, or people that aren't playing to the best of their ability, then, you know, that's, that's kind of tough. And it's going to start up front, even with Saquon and um, even the receivers doing well, that all starts up front. I'm not sure how the O-line looks and how they looked in preseason, but keeping Daniel upright is the most important thing. And then making holes available for Saquon to run through. Everything starts up front. So, Everybody can talk about the skill positions or they can talk about the quarterback, but if you can't protect the quarterback, you can't do anything. Um, you can't do anything on offense. So I think that's the most important part, and that's the eyes. That's where I would have my eyes if I'm a fan or if I'm doing anything is how are we doing up front? Quarterbacks who have time and protection to throw, can do. you can do a lot. And I've seen that with my own eyes. You know, I've seen that Tom Brady have incredible success. Uh, because the pocket is so clean. And then, you know, when you have a DeMarcus Ware and a Von Miller who are collapsing the pocket, you know, even if they, even Tom Brady struggles with a collapsed pocket. Mm-hmm. So those are just things to, to pay attention to. But it's going to start up front. If we want to see Galladay do incredible things and 
have time to get the ball down the field. If we want to see Saquon do incredible things, we want to see Shep or anybody who's out there. We want to see Daniel do incredible things. It's going to start with protection. Absolutely. And that's been a problem with the Giants for years, going on a decade practically. Um, in training camp, I would say, you know, they lost left guard Shane Lemieux. That's a question. John Feliciano, Mark Lewinsky at center and right guard with Evan Neal, the draft pick at right tackle, Andrew Thomas at left tackle. The run blocking, Benny, frankly, from my vantage point, looks pretty good. So that's encouraging to take some uh, pressure off of Daniel, not just to put it all on his shoulders in the passing game. Uh, but the pass protection is kind of wait and see. You know, I, I think that's where I am. I think that's where the Giants staff is. Um, and you're right. I mean, that's really what it's going to come down to. Can you give Daniel time to throw? Because we know he can push the ball down the field, as you mentioned. Um, now, I noticed you were the honorary captain at uh, a recent Denver Broncos preseason game. That was cool to see. No surprise that they're bringing back a player um, who's such a great influence on everybody he really touches in the locker room and, and uh, in his professional life. But um, I haven't gotten out to Denver. I know they got a new head coach, Nathaniel Hackett. We got Russell Wilson now in orange. Let's ride. It's so weird to see. But, uh, you know, what can, what, how do they look? I mean, how do, how do the Broncos look? How, does, how do they look out there in the AFC West? It was, it was hard to tell. You know, the couple practices that I went to, they were more slower paced. Um, it's kind of hard to tell. They, they didn't play their starters in preseason, so I'm not really sure. I can mm -hmm. tell you one thing is that I love Coach Hackett. He, he, he treats me and hugs me like I, like I play for the team. Um, wow. And, I, you know, it's, it's, it's super cool to be a part of that. You know, he's, I went to practice one time, and he, figured, he found out that I was out there and that I left early and shot me a text and was like, why, why didn't you say hi? Um, so, you know, I appreciate things like that, especially in a city that where, you know, you know, where I won a, where I won a Super Bowl with the team and the organization. And it's, it's good to see, uh, the continuity, I guess they have so far on their staff and just who he is as a leader, but no, it's exciting times in Denver. The entire city is very excited for Russell Wilson and these guys. I'm, I feel bad for Tim Patrick, who's a really good friend of mine. Who, you know, that's a big loss in terms of, what he is as a receiver, but um, we will see. I mean, they got a, a really hard test to start the season on the road on Monday night, and that will be a, a playoff-like atmosphere. Um, Russell Wilson will probably be approaching it like a playoff game because he's going back home, and then you know the Seahawks want to win and, and kind of rub it in his face that you left um, to go there, but, you know, we still got it over here. So it's going to be super exciting to kind of to see that and, and how that all plays out. That's interesting insight into uh, Hackett there because, uh, you know, it's, it's no sure thing that a first-time head coach, first-year head coach, yeah, it's great that you get Russell Wilson on your team, but you're getting a veteran quarterback who's used to doing things a certain way and, and let's face it, has, has clout in this league, has status in this league, and, you know, Hackett does come from Green Bay, obviously, so he earned his stripes with Aaron Rodgers, but uh, kind of that insight into the personal relationship that even just with him talking to you, that would seem to indicate, Benny, and this is part of why I think you and I got along so well is, it, you know, he treats people like people. So that would seem like as a coach, even though it's new and even though there's high expectations right away, that sounds like a guy who is going to treat his players like people and they're going to tell he cares. And so maybe the chemistry you know, behind the scenes there is going to be a little bit better right off the bat than people on the outside think. Yeah. I mean, from what the players, the players that I talk to, uh, what they talk about, you know, 
they said they, they love him. And I think that's important. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to hear that. And they also said, you know, when you have a, a Russell Wilson in the building, you know, the energy and expectation is different. So the focus is there. So the level of focus you won't, you know, you don't necessarily have to worry about because Russell Wilson is bringing that focus to the meetings every single day. And the Broncos now know, like, we have to, we have to make the playoffs every year. Like, there's no if ands, or buts about it. We have one of the top quarterbacks, and when you have one of the top quarterbacks, it's no different than when I was playing with Peyton, Eli. You know, we struggled a little bit in New York, even though we, the expectations were every year we like we have enough to compete. Like playing with Peyton, like you know, he's walking in the door. That's twelve wins, <laughs> and now you know Broncos, they they're going to have that expectations at least eleven, ten, eleven wins every year. But you know. I think you know things like that are super important to to put out there. That that division is going to be absolutely fascinating, and any in division game in the AFC West is going to be must see TV. I already watch too much football, but now it's yeah. like I, I don't even think I can miss a play of anything that happens in the AFC West uh, this yeah, year. Playoff pretty- games every 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 game is a playoff game in the division for that one. Crazy. No, that, so that brings me to a couple couple random questions that would get you out of here. Um, well, staying on the themes of quarterbacks, real quick, uh, with guys you have not, you didn't get a chance to play with. When you look at the young quarterbacks in the league, you know, there's no right or wrong answer, but just curious, like if you if you could play with one of the young up and comers or stars right now that you didn't get a chance to play with, which one would you choose? You know, which, which guy would you be interested in playing with and kind of experiencing what it's like to be in his offense? I don't just have just one. <clears throat> I was I would love to play with Justin Herbert. Uh, I love the way he he plays. Um, I think the way he throws the ball, he throws a great ball. I think he has command over the offense, and that was just his first year with Joe Lombardi, who I played with in New Orleans. Uh, obviously, Patrick Mahomes, just his creativity, the way he goes about things, his swagger on the field, his confidence at an all-time high. And then I would say Lamar Jackson. You know, I've never oh, seen yeah. a player, maybe I've seen a, maybe one or two other players where it still looks like Little League to them. And Lamar Jackson, you know, with his ability to throw and run, like, I mean, he's doing some incredible things that even, you know, don't get me wrong, Michael Vick did incredible things. But what Lamar Jackson is doing has taken it to another level. So I would say those three. I love that you brought up Lamar, all those great answers. I love that you brought up Lamar because – uh, his contract situation is so fascinating with Baltimore because he doesn't have an agent and has kind of played himself through the timeline of a rookie deal where guys usually kind of use their leverage and get it done. But he deserves to be paid like the former MVP and like the all-world and unique talent that he is. And then you had the Deshaun Watson contract setting a bar that looked like it was the new bar, fully guaranteed. What was it? $230 million, I think. But then obviously Kyler Murray kind of undercuts it for different reasons, different player, you know, there's the work ethic questions, whatever. But, uh, you know, I'd almost be fascinated kind of your take on, um, you know, as a player watching those numbers move around and watching Lamar actually get vocal this week on Twitter about like one fan said um, they already offered $250 million and he wouldn't accept it or something. And Lamar subtweeted it and said they didn't offer that yet. And like, I think he deserves to be paid like that, especially if a guy like Deshaun Watson is going to get it. 
Um, do players uh, follow that closely? Do you think he deserves that kind of money? You know, how do you how do you view that kind of situation there? Absolutely, he deserves that type of money. I mean, for what he what he's been doing so far in in his career, absolutely. Like, you know, MVP playoffs, um, what he's doing rushing, what he's doing throwing, and just the swag, the overall swag that he brings to the Baltimore Ravens. It's totally different. The Ravens have always been a tough-nosed team, and they will always be a tough-nosed team, and they're always respected. But when you have that quarterback who can dominate a game, that's totally different. You know, you're now in that rare era of, you know, you know, there's only a handful of quarterbacks, I would say, where they can wreck the game. You know, you got the Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes. Yep. And I want to yep. say Lamar Jackson right now, where they just completely, okay, like, this is the game. He's a game wrecker. Uh, and Lamar Jackson's a game wrecker. Joe Burrow, Stafford, you know, these are game record, game record quarterbacks. Hey, no, it's a great point. And you know what else I love about Lamar? Because it, he teaches me this almost every time I watch him. You know, there's so much focus in, in organizations around the league on not turning the ball over. Obviously, that's important. But Lamar is so good that now not everybody is him. But like he could turn the ball over three times in the first half and then just dominate the second half and win the game. Now, not everybody is as capable as he is of turning it on and flipping a switch like that and having those chances you take work out. But I do think it's instructive that in the modern NFL or in football in general, too, like you can't put your head down. You throw a pick six in the first quarter. Like if you're an NFL team that wants to win games, you need to be able to respond and still score 28. Like you can be a good team and score 25 to 30 points a game and still turn the ball over a couple times. I mean, am I, am I minimizing turnovers too much? Is Lamar too unique and that doesn't apply to other people? Or do you think I have kind of a, a fair point there? I think you got a fair point. I think it's, it's, I think it's unique to their situation though. And then who he is as a player, because yeah, he might turn it over, but he's also the same player that on the next drive, he can take it 80, <laughs> you know, they can score in two plays. Um, right. So I think it's very unique in that that standpoint. It's no different than a Patrick Mahomes turning the ball over. He turns the ball over or throws a pick six. I mean, they're up and down the field in three plays, and the, the score is back tied up. So it also depends on the play calling, who's calling the plays, and the overall structure of the team. So a lot of that goes hand in hand. Benny, always living in the details. I love it. That's why you had such a great career. Uh, one more, and then I'll get, we'll get you out of here. Sleep, what sleeper teams do you have right now looking around the league? A team that um, one or two, you know, however many teams that you think are going to surprise some people. And then because we won't talk to you before week one, which is right around the corner. Um, if you don't have one, I won't put you on the spot. But if you have a Super Bowl pick, I'd love that as well. I mean, my sleeper team would probably be the Chargers. I think Justin Herbert takes another step this year. Um, and I think the New Orleans Saints. I think with all the weapons, they already have an incredible defense, but the weapons that they're getting back in terms of Michael Thomas, Jameis, Chris Olave, Jarvis Landry, Marquez Callaway, uh, Deontay Hardy, like, I mean, they Alvin Kamara. Geez, how did I even miss that? Mark Ingram. <laughs> um, and then they're tight ends. You're just, everybody just, like, he's in, he's in Sharpie. He's, he's so good and such a regular contributor, right? Yeah, so I would say, you know, that is that's a team to watch out for. Um, so yeah. Did you and a Super Bowl pick or no? 
I don't have a Super Bowl pick right now. I mean, it's so early. There's so much that has to be like you can only make a legit Super Bowl pick when the playoffs are getting ready to start. Just because there's so much that can happen in week 15, 17, you know, even people who probably had the Patriots the year we won it, we didn't get the number one seeds at the last. I would say this: we found out we had a chance to get it the second half of the game against the Chargers at home, and then we got home field advantage, and that changed the trajectory of the playoffs and how we mm. began prepared. Then we had the bye week, but that literally came down to the last thirty minutes of of the San Diego game because New England had lost to like Miami or something. Right. No, that's a fair point. That will not prevent me, however, from making my Super Bowl prediction on next week's podcast leading into the Thursday night opener. But Benny, first of all, again, congratulations on a terrific career on your retirement and on everything that has happened and is coming after football. And we can't thank you enough for joining us here on Talking Ball. Appreciate you, Pat. Thanks. Stay tuned. We're coming right back here on Talking Ball with Pat Leonard. All right, we're back here at Talking Ball. Thanks again to Benny Fowler. Always fantastic analysis from Benny. We look forward to having him, hopefully, as a regular part of the show. Now let's move on to our two-minute drill. Every week we will talk some betting. We'll talk some fantasy. We'll try to bring our knowledge of the league and how we see things shaping up to you. And I'm going to start right now. We're a couple weeks or maybe 10 days out or so from week one. Uh, We're going to pick some games. We'll pick our Super Bowl winner next week. But right now, let's talk about season win totals and some sleepers or some lines that I like going into my seventh season covering the NFL for the New York Daily News. Let's start with the Philadelphia Eagles in the NFC East. Every NFC East team essentially has the easiest schedule. They're close in the entire NFL this year, combined with the division in division they're facing and then also the rest of the league as a whole, who they have to take on. And so with the Eagles, they're over win totals, nine and a half at minus 145. I love pushing the alt wins on the Eagles. We have plus 140 at 10 and a half, plus 240 at 11 and a half. I would only sprinkle on plus 430 at over 12 and a half, but I don't think it's crazy based on the actions of GM Howie Roseman. You know, Chauncey Gardner Johnson now acquired in a trade to start at safety from the Saints. They're really going all in, knowing that they are the clear favorite in their division and that the NFC East or the NFC is relatively open. So I like the Eagles. I like money on the Eagles to not only eclipse the over, but also push it forward and get into those high, maybe double digits there. These lines I'm using right now are from FanDuel Sportsbook, uh, but hopefully pretty soon here, we end up having a sponsor of our own and we will use those lines. So at the moment, let's go to another team I really love this year. Don't know how far I want to pick them in the playoffs, but we're going to go with the Las Vegas Raiders. Over is eight and a half wins, which sounds very low to me, Uh, minus 115. They do have a difficult schedule, but Josh McDaniels comes in. Uh, They've made some great additions. Devontae Adams on offense, Chandler Jones on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, They won 10 games last year, and now their alt wins is plus 150 over nine and a half. So I like the plus 150 over nine and a half with the Raiders. The Jacksonville Jaguars, I mean, there's nowhere to go but up. Urban Meyer's out. Doug Peterson is in. I think Trevor Lawrence is going to turn back into the quarterback we thought he was when he was at Clemson. You know, I don't think he has been completely ruined. We're hearing good things out of Jacksonville. Peterson is a real NFL Super Bowl winning head coach. 
So I like the Jaguars over six and a half wins at plus 115. Easy schedule, easy division. You know, this screams to me. I, I want to put all my money on this one, frankly. Alt wins is plus 185 over seven and a half. You're probably getting a little too rich at plus 320 over eight and a half. Uh, but I definitely think the Jaguars are going to su- surprise some people. And like I said, I think people are so focused on how bad they were last year, but with dysfunctional leadership, I think Vegas even still is overlooking how much damage and how much growth Jacksonville can do and show in a quick uh, in a quick year, in one year turnaround. They obviously put some money into receiver with Christian Kirk and Zay Jones. Now the Dallas Cowboys, I like the under on the Cowboys, under nine and a half wins at plus 130. You know, this will get Cowboys fans going crazy, obviously. The NFC East isn't a strong division. They have an easy overall schedule. I do think, however, that they're going to not only miss Amari Cooper, but obviously the loss of Tyron Smith for a large part of the season, at least, I think is going to be devastating. Um, and I do think that the Eagles project as the clear best team in this division. And I honestly, you know, coming off last year where Mike McCarthy, his future seemed in doubt, there was a lot of noise about. Jerry Jones wanting Sean Payton. And there continues to be this feeling that if things start to go south, you have Dan Quinn already in the building, who they love. You have Sean Payton and the Jerry Jones and that marriage that feels like it's only a matter of time into the future. So there's just a lot set up for McCarthy to fail, a lot of pressure on him. He could coach his way out of it. The Cowboys could prove me wrong. But I do think that even though they have one of, honestly, the best players in the league in Micah Parsons, I do like the under on the Cowboys, especially with an injury to such a key player in Tyron Smith. They just don't have a lot of wiggle room if they lose any other key pieces. And the Green Bay Packers, a relatively easy schedule. They have won 13 games in three straight seasons, and they're over for 10 and a half wins on the line in Vegas at minus 160. They're plus 200 over 12 and a half. So they're plus 200 to win the same amount of games they've won the last three years. Now, I know that Devontae Adams isn't there, but they have one of the, if not the best defense in the league. If Matt LaFleur had been able to coach some special teams, then they would have beaten, they should have beaten the 49ers easily on their own turf in the playoffs last year. I do think, I do love the Packers this year. I do think they'll figure it out. They're also plus 100 to get over 11 and a half. Personally, I think that's easy money. Now let's move over to fantasy football right now. Uh, you know, always want people always want their sleepers. They want to know who's going to be on your board that they don't have there yet. Who should be higher? Who should be lower? A guy I love that I don't think is very high on many people's boards right now is Kenny Gainwell from the Philadelphia Eagles. You know, Miles Sanders has been dealing with an injury, and frankly, I think if you get a healthy back behind this Eagles offensive line in this offense with Jalen Hurts, who's a consistent contributor and not just part of a committee. Gainwell, I've talked to people who know him, who've worked with him. Uh, They feel like he is going to burst onto the scene this year for the Eagles. This is opinion of the people in the league who know him as a player, who knew him coming out of college. So Kenny Gainwell, that's not a high round pick, obviously, but you're looking at a value pick and a guy who could end up being the, the bell cow at a certain point if the Eagles don't make acquisitions there for one of the best offenses in the league. And of course, last year, the best and one of the best rushing offenses in the NFL. Uh, So Kenny Gainwell's a guy to keep an eye on. And then 
some higher round players. There's obviously a lot of big names up there that everybody will say they're high on. Everybody knows Jonathan Taylor's a stud, but Aaron Jones in Green Bay, you always not only want good contributors and guys who touch the ball a lot, but you also want them to be playing on strong offenses and good teams. With a good defense, this team is going to go through Jones and A.J. Dillon, but Jones primarily is the guy in Green Bay and has been. Love him. Love that pick high. DeAndre Swift had him on a bunch of my teams last season for Detroit. They love to run the ball. He is tough. He's, he's skilled. He can catch the ball. He's fast, but he is tough and can run in between the tackles. He is a fantastic player, and if he stays healthy, he could honestly easily end up as one of the top few players in fantasy football based on his heavy usage for the Lions. Tony Pollard in Dallas, if Zeke Elliott struggles to stay healthy, or honestly, Pollard often looks like the better option from a fantasy perspective, especially anyway. So that would be a value play, but a guy that I love and really has been a a good spot starter in recent years, if not a regular starter when he's been the clear number one going into games. And then here's the guy who I love, Najee Harris. I mean, he led the league in touches as a rookie. And the problem, obviously, is that the Steelers don't look like they have a solution at quarterback. And their offensive line, after being bad last season, they haven't addressed it enough. I mean, let's be honest. It doesn't look that way. It doesn't look like the Steelers' offensive line has been fixed. But it's a wait and see right now. Now, Najee Harris, obviously, we just learned, had a Liz Frank injury in his foot at the start of training camp. Now, he played in the preseason finale. They are confident he's going to be on the field in week one. They're expecting him to be ready. That is a concern. But does that help you as a fantasy owner get him a little bit more value at the top of your draft than you would otherwise? Uh, I think that Najee Harris, with good blocking, got, you know, a couple weeks ago, he was my clear number one, maybe even ahead of Taylor, depending on just projecting if the Steelers' offense looks anywhere close to competent and if the offensive line made even a slight push forward the amount of production that Harris could have with the workload given to him as a rookie would just be astounding. And so clearly, obviously, Taylor was, especially now with Matt Ryan as the quarterback in Indianapolis, is the guy. It's hard to pass on him. But I think Najee Harris, if he can stay healthy and if the Steelers' offensive line even improves marginally, will be an absolute stud who we are talking about a lot more than we did in 2021. That's our first episode here of Talking Ball. Thanks for being with me this week. We look forward to many more fun episodes with great guests. And thanks for sticking around. See you next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.